I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. We've come to the end of the saga that is Pizza Hut versus Domino's, at least up to the present day. In our last episode, Domino's nascent social media team was forced to spring into action when some prankster employees threatened the company with some negative viral press involving snot, enough to turn anyone off their pizza, at least for a little while. You might say that was a wake-up call. The company would no longer be behind on its digital footprint, investing heavily in technology and delivery in recent years. Meanwhile, Pizza Hut doubled down on its sit-in restaurants and fancier toppings and combinations. But their investment barely moved the needle when it came to profits. Well, now, after 60 years, Domino's pulled out in front of its biggest competitor. But today, even more challenges are coming to Pizza Hut and Domino's, not to mention the entire restaurant industry itself. And to talk about that, we're meeting Sam Okus. He is a writer and the editorial director of Food News Media, a B2B company that covers the fast casual industry. We'll discuss the present and possible future of these companies, the pizza industry in general, and how they're competing for an ever-shrinking piece of the pie. That's all coming up next on Business Wars. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S., it's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. Sam Okus, welcome to Business Wars. Thanks for having me, David. Now, this series, as our listeners know, mapped out how these two pizza chains have jockeyed for the top position throughout the years. Domino's had uh, crested Pizza Hut for the first time in 60 years. I guess some would say crusted, but, you know, <laughs> we, we do puns here. Then uh, this year we have this pandemic. Domino's still on top. How has Domino's weathered this crisis so far in your estimation? Uh, well, they're doing remarkably well. Um, in many ways, Domino's was made for this moment. All of the investments they've put into um, delivery for, of course, 40 years, but especially into their digital platform for the last decade uh, is paying dividends. So they are actually up something like 15% uh, in the pandemic, which is not the story for most restaurant businesses. Um, and it's because of Domino's is really prepared for this with their infrastructure, their digital technology, but also because pizza right now is 
really satisfying a need. A lot more people are eating around the dinner table and um, a lot more people want some comfort food. So Domino's pizza especially is satisfying that need. What about the hut? How are they doing? So Pizza Hut's doing okay. They're up in their sales, something like single digits um, comparably over last year, which again, compared to the mo- most of the restaurant industry is actually quite good with so many restaurants closing or struggling to, to survive. And again, that's because pizza right now uh, is about as bulletproof as you get when it comes to the pandemic. People have so many options for delivery, right? I mean, with DoorDash, Uber Eats and all of that, they could, at least in theory, get pretty much anything they want, as a lot of us have discovered. How has that affected Pizza Hut and Domino's and their emphasis on delivery? Well, because they've been known for delivery for so long, I think um, Pizza Hut and Domino's have such brand affinity. You know, they have loyalty from many consumers who are turning to those brands because it's their favorite pizza place. Um, They have loyalty programs, you know, so a lot of customers are using points. They're building up their points and using them to get deals off their pizzas. And these are also brands very much known for value. And right now, that's important when you have millions and millions of people who are unemployed and right now budgets are tight. So um, they're turning to Pizza Hut and Domino's in particular, but there's no doubt that in the delivery sphere, the competition is growing day by day because not only are restaurants jumping into delivery because they kind of had to in the pandemic, but you also have some other things going on, for example, with virtual concepts. Suddenly, a lot of people are spinning up these virtual concepts that don't even have storefronts serving food just in the digital marketplace. So the competition really is intense, but Pizza Hut and Domino's can rely upon that affinity they've built up with customers over the last 50, 60 years. I don't want to get off the delivery question too much, but I do feel like I have to raise this issue because throughout our series, I've noticed that we haven't talked much about pricing here. Mm -hmm. And there is a certain competition in the pricing, but how much of that is a factor in whether Pizza Hut or Domino's gets someone's business? Oh, it's huge. I mean, I think Domino's especially is known as a value player. Um, Pizza Hut, to a degree, is a value player as well. But because Pizza Hut's history was so rooted in a dine-in experience, I think it's a little Mm -hmm. bit more oriented to, you know, higher check averages, less toward the value. Whereas Domino's is really, it really staked its claim in value from the beginning. So that's a big deal. When you can get pizzas for, you know, $6.99, $7.99 at Domino's, um, for a lot of families, that's a difference maker. And especially in hard times economically, that's a difference maker. And when you saw, you know, Domino's, their their rebirth, so to speak, back in 2008, 2009, it's really no coincidence that 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 coincided with the Great Recession. And so I think the value play here is is critically important. And that's why I think both of these companies are well set up for whatever comes next. Getting back to the delivery side of things, Domino's is trying to fortress its delivery business. And I'm wondering, tell us a little bit more about the use of that term, fortress, and what Domino's is hoping to achieve by that approach. Sure. Yeah. So the idea of fortressing is when you fill out a market with more stores. So what you're doing is you're reducing the radius, the delivery radius um, for you know your customers. So if you have several more Domino's in any particular city, you can get pizzas to all of the customers there a lot faster. If you only had one Domino's in the middle of the city, your radius becomes a lot you know, bigger and it takes a lot longer to get your pizza there. So, you know, fortressing can be a little controversial because particularly for franchisees, I think they see this as cannibalizing their sales. You have another franchisee moves in across town, might cannibalize their sales. But for the brand in general, what you're doing is you're ensuring that you can get your product quickly to any customer in that particular market as fast as you can. Well, tell us a little bit about how either company, if either company works with the third party delivery companies, do they? 
Domino's does not. Domino's has sworn off third-party delivery, and for good reason. I mean, Domino's has built up, again, this reputation as a delivery pizza company for 40 mm-hmm. years, and they have their own fleet of drivers. They're very, very good at this. Um, their infrastructure, the technology they've developed over the last 10 years is all oriented toward a very efficient delivery process. And so why would they go with a third-party delivery company, particularly when a lot of restaurant companies don't like those partners because the third-party delivery guys, you know, quite famously charge a lot of money. They take a lot off the top, mm-hmm. usually 25, 30% off of each sale. And so, you know, not only are you losing a chunk of every sale with the third-party guys, but you're also giving up control of your brand to this other company. And so if one of these third parties were to screw up an order or, you know, get the order to the customer cold or something along these lines, all of those mistakes, the, typically the blame is put on the restaurant, not the third-party delivery company. Uh-huh. So for Domino's, they saw this and they're like, well, why should we do this? We have the infrastructure for delivery already set up. We don't want to risk that. Whereas Pizza Hut, they do use um, third-party delivery. And some of that's because um, they were not as well known for delivery before all of this and before third parties came up. And um, you know, without that robust infrastructure for delivery, uh, being able to partner with third-party delivery is, is a quick fix. You're able to spin up a delivery platform fairly quickly without all of those investments. Everything going pretty smoothly on that front? As far as I know, I mean, as smoothly as it can go. Um, but again, this is a fairly controversial strategy for the restaurant industry because the third party companies, again, taking so much off the top. And there's really yeah. there's a lot of tension between restaurant companies and the third party delivery partners because there's just no end in sight. There's really not a lot of working together to figure this piece of it out. And restaurant companies, particularly now, your your profit margins are razor thin as it is. So to lose 25 or 30 percent off the top of a sale, I mean, that can be the difference between making money and not making money. And so in, in, at a time of the pandemic, when you need to make as much money as possible, sort of a catch 22, because then the third party delivery is also giving you sort of of a lifeline and being able to deliver your food outside the four walls, which right now for a lot of restaurants is, is the only option you have. Right. You know, the Pizza Hut down the street or the Domino's at the corner, I think that's for many folks, the public face of that company. And when you're uh, using your smartphone to order a pizza or something along those lines, you're thinking about, in a sense, that that connection. But I understand that one of Pizza Hut's largest franchisees, NPC, recently filed for Chapter 11 and included in part of that restructuring was the closure of something like, what, 300 Pizza Hut stores? Did you hear about that? Yes, that's right. Uh, Yeah, it went bankrupt. They had about 1,200, I think, Pizza Hut locations and 300 were closed. So what's your take on this? Do you think that this says something larger about the industry as a whole, about Pizza Hut per se? What, What do you think? As I understand it for that bankruptcy, one of the reasons why they said this happened and why they had to close those 300 locations is because there was very much an emphasis on in-store dining for those restaurants. And uh-huh. uh, as you well know by now, Pizza Hut really did build its business on dine-in business. You know, it has that iconic hut. I remember when I was growing up, you went after baseball games and you sat around the table with your friends and you had a waitress <laughs> yeah. come and help you out and get you sodas and all of that. And um, that's just not the name of the game anymore. And especially for right. the 
the pizza chains, you know, anymore, this idea of off-premises business, which is delivery, curbside carryout, these kinds of things, that is the name of the game. And that is what is very much powered by smartphones. And so Pizza Hut is going that direction and they are investing in it a lot now. And they have the, you know, luxury of having Yum Brands as their parent company, the largest restaurant company in the world. Uh But, you know, in moving in that direction, unfortunately, there has been some carnage. And so in this particular case with MPC going bankrupt, uh, as far as I understand it, it's a, a big part of that reason is because many of those restaurants were all, were very still much rooted in this in-store dining. And when you have like a, you know, a big store, a lot of real estate, a big footprint, that's expensive. You got to run, you know, if you have 2,000, 3,000 sure, square feet absolutely. in a restaurant, absolutely. you know, it's a lot of overhead and, and Domino's has never done that. Domino's can just punch one into little footprints all over the country. And so they don't have that concern as much. Me and my family were out in Alpine, Texas, which is way deep in West Texas. And, and my kids had never seen a Pizza Hut restaurant with a roof. You know, they thought that it was almost like, a, you know, a Disneyland or something. And and there was a salad bar, believe it or not, which I presume has become extinct during um, this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Are there still any of the Red Roof restaurants around? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure, there are, are still some of these restaurants out there. And especially in smaller communities across America, you know, there, there are still going to be those locations. And you know what? Those locations might still do OK. Um, after the pandemic, uh, the salad bar probably is not not exactly coming back. I think the idea of salad bar and buffets, that's something that's probably going to be behind us by now. These kinds of restaurants can very much still play a role in many communities, many smaller communities across mm-hmm. America. But increasingly, you cannot ignore the fact that, you know, younger generations especially, but now older generations because of the pandemic, are engaging with restaurants from their devices. And that means that most of these sales are going to be be pushed to those off-premises channels. What are the ways that Pizza Hut and Domino's at this juncture can try to sort of set themselves apart from the competition? Because let's keep in mind that it's not just one another that's the competition in this case. You got Little Caesars, Papa John's, uh, Mellow Mushrooms out there, out of Atlanta, um, Mm -hmm. and, and all the mom and pop pizza places. How do they fit in? Yeah. So, I mean, these big chains, the top four chains account for, I think it's something like half of the overall pizza business. And so you do still have lots of um, smaller chains. You have lots of mom and pops and, and there's a place for all of them. I mean, look, pizza is about as beloved an item as they come here in the States. I mean, most customers eat pizza very regularly. And I can speak for myself, I don't have an exclusive pizza brand that I go to. Mm -hmm. You know, I spread that business around depending on what I want. And so if I want something where I'm looking to prioritize quality, I might go to a local mom and pop shop. If I'm looking to prioritize value and not having to pay as much, I might prioritize one of these chains. Often, I prioritize whatever is closest to me and going to get to me fastest. And so that means that when it comes to the competition, there is room for all of these brands. But there's no doubt that the competition is very stiff. And so to, to your question, how do they differentiate? Of course, there's a few ways. You know, one of the ways can be quality. So, you know, how do you, you know, menu innovate and do this R&D such that you're coming up with exciting uh, menu innovations that people crave and they want to go order? But the other way, and this is the way that Pizza Hut and Domino's, I think, are very focused on, as well as Papa John's and Little Caesars, is convenience and accessibility. How easy is it to get that pizza from that restaurant into my hands in as little time as possible and for as you know low a price as yeah, possible? Yeah. That's very much going to be driving uh, the bus here for the pizza industry for the foreseeable future. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? 
Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. We're talking with Sam Okus. He's a writer and the editorial director of Food News Media, which is a B2B company that covers the fast casual industry. And boy, does he know his pizza. Let's pull back for just a moment. <laughs> and I, I have to ask, since I mentioned that, Sam, uh, what's your go-to? Do you have a go-to? Well, I have to say it's the best compliment I've ever received that I know my pizza because this, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of pizza. Um, you know, I, I spread my business around, like I said. And so what's really funny is that when I think about the, the pizza chains in my area where I live, I have a Domino's, I have a, a, a Papa John's, I have a Pizza Hut, and I have a Marco's Pizza. Marco's is very much an exciting emerging brand out of Ohio that mm-hmm. it now has over a thousand locations across the U.S. And the truth is, is that I, I get pizza from all of them. But what's very funny is when I think about it, geographically speaking, Domino's is the closest and no doubt is the one I go to the most because it's the closest. But I'm talking about, you know, it's a mile away. The furthest out is Pizza Hut at maybe three or four miles. It's really nitpicking. But I do think it kind of is, you know, shows you what goes through people's minds when they're thinking about where to order. How do I get this the fastest? And is it a good value? And for me, that's often Domino's because it's, it's just about a mile from my house. I want to go back to something that you were talking about earlier, which I think was a a really uh, important turning point in this particular business war. And that was, should we call it a scandal? You you use the term reinvention, but it happened around 2008, 2009. It was this uh, video image that went viral of somebody putting snot in in a pizza. I don't think the pizza actually made it out there. But a lot of the comments brought Domino's back to an awakening that our pizza doesn't have this reputation for tasting great. So it's interesting that you should say that you would go, you know, to a Domino's for it. And I can remember when Domino's admitted our pizza stinks and then they changed the recipe and they said, let us know what you think. It did taste different. And I did, Mm -hmm. I, I noticed a difference and it did seem to be a real turning point. How unprecedented was that move, do you think? Oh, is uh, very much unprecedented. I mean, you don't see this very often where a major company admits that their their core product is not good. And yeah, they were they, they came out and said, okay, you guys told us this tastes like cardboard. Um, and, and no pizza company is going to want to admit that their pizza tastes like car- cardboard. No company is going to want to admit that the core product they've sold for 50 years uh, is bad. And yet I think they recognized that this was something they had to do. So, you know, at the time, what I remember was, 
you know, if you looked at uh, the consumer rankings of their favorite pizza places, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Domino's consistently came in last when it came to, to quality, and it consistently came in first when it came to value. Clearly, what the leaders of Domino's at the time thought was, well, if we can improve the quality rankings, then, you know, we've already got the value part of this down. People already see us for the value that we offer, but we have to offer a quality product. And you know, what could happen if we did that? And the marketing campaign that they did was genius. They very transparently said, all right, we admit it. Our pizza is no good. You guys are telling this. They put um, J. Patrick Doyles, their CEO at the time, they put him in the commercial standing in the headquarters saying, we're sorry, our product is no good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was right. an amazing bit of authenticity, an amazing bit of transparency that they did here. And it paid off incredibly. First quarter of 2010, I was just looking back at their sales. Uh, just after they came out with this new and improved pizza recipe, their sales went up 14% the next quarter. And I think it was just refreshing to see them come out and say, we admit our product was bad and we're doing something about it. Because what I think that did is not only did it excite customers and, you know, and basically dare them to go try this pizza, yeah, right. but it also built trust with them. It said, look, if we think that our, our product stinks, we're going to do something about it. And, um, and yeah, I mean, to your point, I think a lot of people did recognize, Hey, this pizza actually is better. You know, it's funny because in the, in the focus groups, if you just put down a couple of pieces of pizza, you didn't tell them that one of them was Domino's. They didn't seem to have that much of a preference, but once you told them it was Domino's, they said that that slice tasted worse, which just shows you how much the brand itself had permeated uh, the consciousness of the of, of the pizza consumer. But I wonder how applicable this approach might be more generally. I mean, if you know that you've got a reputation that's not number one when it comes to quality, that's got to be a risky proposition to just sort of hang yourself out there and dare people to give you another shot. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the uh, maybe one of the parallels I would think of for Domino's is Subway. And, you know, I think to myself, if Subway did something like this, what would happen? And mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything bad about Subway, but I mm -hmm. think similarly, Subway is seen as the value play. They're not seen necessarily as the quality play. If Subway were to come out and do something like this, I just don't know that you can pull it off like you could or like Domino's did at least back then. What's really amazing to think about is that Domino's did it really before social media had become so universal. And I wonder if Domino's even had tried this today, what would that have looked like? Because I think your message gets a little bit more out of control these days when it comes to social media. It's harder to control that message because there are so many different channels, so many different voices. A lot of these big brands do it very well, but it would have been interesting to see what their approach had been today if they had done this. So Domino's timing was really impeccable. It, like I said before, it aligned very well with the recession, which I don't think is a coincidence because it, um, you know, encouraged people to, you know, who are looking for value to go out and give Domino's a shot. Um, but they threaded that needle with a message and um, it would be very hard for any other major company to do, no doubt. Very interesting. Well, uh, Domino's uh, went on to revamp its image and focus on uh, digital ordering and delivery. Pizza Hut sort of takes a slightly different tack. They go with uh, giving customers tons of options and sauces. and But at the same time, they're not as far ahead on the ordering technology, which seems like a really fancy way of saying y your app wasn't as good or you don't have a great way to track your delivery, for example. Do you see this as a case of one company listening to its customer and one company being out of touch or one company sort of making the case that we're listening to you more than the other guy? 
I think what it more comes down to is the difference in positioning for these brands. Because when you think about Pizza Hut, you have to think about the fact that they are owned by Yum Brands. And so, of course, Yum Brands spun off of PepsiCo and also owns KFC and Taco Bell. Um, They also have acquired this year the Habit Burger Grill based out in California. So what Pizza Hut is doing is a lot of their strategies are kind of in tandem with Taco Bell and KFC, which is not to say that it prevents Pizza Hut from being able to invest in the infrastructure and the technology like Domino's has. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's more aligned with these other brands. And so they're trying to accomplish bigger digital goals with this portfolio of brands, whereas Domino's is really laser focused. This does come with a huge advantage. Advantage. I mean, Yum Brands, you know, I believe uh, last year, within the last couple of years, they just went out and bought an online ordering platform for Pizza Hut because they can do that. They can throw around millions of dollars as the largest restaurant company in the world. That's not necessarily something that Domino's can go out and do. But so, so Domino's has really built this organically over time, built this infrastructure. And for Yum Brands, I think it's been, you know, something that's been, been a little bit more gradual over time. But look, I, I really love Yum Brands. I think Taco Bell, KFC are two, uh, of course, very iconic brands in their own right, doing mm-hmm. very interesting sure. things. Sure. Um, Pizza Hut, in a, in a strange kind of way, has been kind of a weak link within Yum Brands for the last several years. Um, and I think it's just because it's still trying to figure this out. It's still trying to figure out that identity as it goes from a primarily dine-in restaurant experience to one that is very much oriented to delivery and carry-out. Very interesting. Well, you've been awfully generous with your time, Sam, I, I, but I want to ask you a couple more before we let you go. Sure. One of the magazines that you publish, QSR, put out what you call the QSR 50 every year, a ranking of how the 50 biggest chains are doing. Based on what you were just saying about the challenges for young brands and that sort of thing and Domino's growth, where do Domino's and Pizza Hut rank this year in that list of top 50? Yeah, so Domino's is number nine on the top 50, and I believe Pizza Hut's number 12. And what's interesting about this is that um, Pizza Hut, for the longest time, was the biggest pizza company in the U.S., uh, in the world. And Domino's overtook them uh, several years ago uh, after this new and improved recipe came out and really recharged Domino's. And if you look at the numbers now, it's, it's impressive. I mean, Pizza Hut has more locations in the U.S., but is doing about $2 billion less in annual sales than Domino's. Hmm. Hmm. So Domino's is crushing it. I mean, when you talk about restaurant companies that I would say are in this upper echelon of performance, if a restaurant owner asks me what brand should I emulate, Domino's is right up there because they're doing, they've been doing a lot of things right for the last decade. And the proof is in the pudding. Now they are the largest pizza company in America doing almost $2 billion more in sales than Pizza Hut was when Pizza Hut owned that position for, <laughs> you know, 50, 60 years. So it's really impressive when you think about it. I, you know, of course, would not count Pizza Hut out because it is still very much an iconic brand. It's selling the easiest product in America to sell, which is pizza. And I think if they line up some of these things, I think they're, you know, they're going to be okay. But, you know, it's going to have to come with a lot of prioritization around the delivery channel, the carry out channel, and definitely not include as much that dine in channel. Yeah. Well, it passed its prologue. Both of these companies are going to be placing bets on consumer tastes. Um, What do you see as the next big thing? The next, is there room for further innovation between these brands and and pizza retailers in general when we're talking about one of America's favorite uh, go-to comfort foods? 
there's absolutely no doubt that there is a lot more innovation to come. And what's interesting is the refrain that I hear from a lot of restaurant executives over the last four or five months is that the pandemic forced several years worth of innovation into just a few months. And so a lot of these companies were looking at this curve in digital innovations going out about three or four years, and the pandemic forced it all to happen very, very quickly. Um, so when you think about this, you think about something like a lot of Gen Z millennial customers were the ones driving digital digital ordering, but the pandemic suddenly has uploaded all of these Gen X boomers and, and older customers who are now familiar with digital ordering too. And so what that means is these companies are using this kind of as a permission to invest further in digital now and not waiting for that. So the restaurant industry has quickly become a very digital industry. And I really think it's only scratched the surface. So if you think about what those innovations could be, mm -hmm. definitely it's going to be technology oriented and it's going to be probably things uh, around delivery like robots. I mean, the headlines talk about robots in the future. We all kind of joke about it and <laughs> right. talk about, you know, drones delivering your pizza, but it's happening. I mean, it's going to be here. You're going to have robots delivering your food probably within the next decade. And so these pizza companies are very much going to be doubling down on how do I build out this very efficient, quick, easy, accessible infrastructure for customers to get our product as cheaply, easily, quickly as possible? And technology is going to continue to ramp up and allow them to do that. So will there be more menu innovation? Sure. But what I think is going to be the future for these two companies as they continue to compete with each other, it's going to be who can come up with the best technology innovations to make sure we're feeding as many customers as possible for as cheaply as possible. Sam Okus is a writer and the editorial director of Food News Media, a B2B company covering the fast casual industry. Sam, thanks so much for speaking with us on Business Wars. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, David. It's my pleasure. From Wondery, this is Episode 7 of Pizza Hut vs. Domino's for Business Wars. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. And to listen to episodes one week early, join Wondery Plus. You'll also find some links and offers from our sponsors in the episode notes. Supporting them helps us keep offering our shows for free. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey and tell us which business stories you'd like to hear. We'll be back next week with a new six-part series. In Gallo, Godfathers of Wine, we explore how one of America's most secretive dynasties flourished in a ruthlessly competitive industry. The Gallo family, through cons, bootlegging, and mafia connections, rose from Depression-era poverty to the top of the U.S. wine industry. I'm your host, David Brown. Michelle Lands produced this episode. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine... You're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say good, because the you in this story is Madonna. 
you're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.